My name is Pedro Mujabafid, and we at TMC aim to discuss and inform students regarding topics which aren't covered well in medical school. This interview series is aimed at answering the questions that medical students, interns and doctors-to-be have regarding the various career pathways for medical graduates. Now, the views and opinions expressed here are purely personal and are not reflective or representative of the stance of any employer, college, medical service, endorsement or other person. Alright, let's start the show. Hi everyone, today we're discussing pathology with Dr. Shane Batty, who is a pathologist consultant and entrepreneur. Hi Shane, thank you for joining us. Great to be here. <laughs> Can you start by telling us a little bit about your journey through medicine and how you became to be a pathologist? Uh, yeah, well I guess um, my journey through medicine started with the decision to uh, do medicine. So in the year 2000 I was in year 12 uh, I went to Viewbank Secondary College which is a public school um, in uh, Viewbank which is close to the Austin Hospital in Heidelberg and uh, I guess uh, I'd been doing quite well uh, uh, through the year and was coming to a, a point to decide on what to do and my decision sort of came down to should I do aerospace engineering or should I do medicine? Uh, quite sort of uh, different uh, avenues that I could take. Um, but I decided to, to do medicine and back in those days uh, Melbourne University was an undergraduate program so uh, I went straight from high school to uh, Melbourne Uni. Um, but I guess uh, in the back of my mind, I've always had this sort of desire to to make things and um, to to pursue that engineering aspect as well. So um, by the time it came to choosing a a research year, which we did back then, uh, halfway through the course, um, I really didn't have any idea what I was going to do, and I ended up um, at the uh, the Royal Victorian Eye and Ear Hospital uh, doing a project that involved a lot of pathology. Um, so I found myself at the Eye and Ear uh, and at St Vincent's Hospital in their pathology department uh, and at Melbourne University in the pathology department there uh, and discovered that I enjoyed using microscopes. I enjoyed being in the lab. Um, I guess uh, part of that sort of tapped into my uh, sciencey side um, and it was probably at that point that I decided that I liked pathology but I didn't I hadn't really made up my mind as to what I was going to be but then uh, fast forward a few years uh, and I found myself in my internship and not particularly enjoying uh, working on wards and, and the clinical uh, work but during my surgical rotation I I really enjoyed being in the pathology department. I guess it's a classical pathologist uh, <laughs> trying to get away from uh, <laughs> yeah. everyone and just enjoying time to sort of sit at a microscope and think to themselves. Um, and pathology is one of those specialties that you can, well, at least uh, back then, so this is 2007, you could just uh, go straight from internship into. It was a competitive sort of process. There were uh, a reasonable number of people trying to get in but um, you could uh, speak to a head of department uh, prior to the selection process and sort of 
get your foot sort of halfway into the door. So uh, I'd met um, Patrick Hosking at Box Hill in the pathology department there and um, and wanted to do my uh, pathology training there um, because I, you know, he's a nice guy and the place had such a good reputation. So I was fortunate to start there in 2008. I uh, did two years at Box Hill and then rotated to the Austin for two years, then Peter Mack. Um, and so then uh, had finished my training and was a specialist pathologist by uh, 2013. So, uh, so you were essentially uh, an underlying pathologist the whole time? I think so. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I mean, you know, going back to being a kid, you know, I always had a fascination with the microscopic sort of side of things. Well, microscopic and you know people that like looking down microscopes often like looking through telescopes as well sort of looking out at things seeing what other people can't see analyzing things yeah Yeah. so is there were you ever at a crossroads where you kind of didn't know which way to go or was it always just pathology um oh no definitely there's always a crossroads yeah because you get a lot of um pressure too it's interesting you tell people you're going to do pathology and the the first response is usually, oh, you're not going to see patients anymore. You know, how are you going to find that? Yeah. <laughs> um, and uh, it, it's interesting, you know, even telling sort of family members, oh, yeah, I've got into pathology. I'm really excited. This is what I want to do. And they're like, oh, you're not going to see PY. I thought you'd make a really good surgeon. I thought, yeah. you'd, I thought you'd make a really nice GP. Um, so I guess, you know, people have differing uh, ideas of what doctors do. Um, it's interesting now too. You know, a lot of people don't realise that pathologists are even doctors. You, you might find doctors that even don't know that. Yeah. Um, but um, yeah, I think there was always that uh, background interest more in the analytical and sort of scientific side of things. I guess this is a good segue into asking you about pathology in general. So, in terms of your work as a pathologist, are you an anatomical pathologist? Mm. Yep. Yeah. So I just deal with. Um, solid organs and specimens so uh, you know anything that a surgeon cuts out is something that we'll look at um, and any uh, small biopsy as well so endoscopic biopsies come to us okay uh, sure and what does your typical day um, at the lab involve yeah so uh, a typical day starts uh, for me at around 9 a.m um Occasionally it's earlier. For instance, yesterday I had a 7 a.m. start for a multidisciplinary meeting, but the actual reporting usually starts for me at about 9 a.m. And from 9 a.m. until about 11, I'll just be reporting prostate core biopsies. So my situation is a bit unique in that I work in a private pathology lab that has uh, a fairly strong urological focus. So Tissue Path does a lot of uh, urology work. So I'll be uh, reporting prostate core biopsies uh, for a couple of hours Um, so it is quite daunting when you sit down at your desk and you see all the slides like uh, our workload is sort of measured in the volume of slides that you have to look at Um, and some mornings you'll just have trays and trays of slides of prostate cores Um, and you have to look at at these cores um, at a fairly high power so it's quite a slow process you don't want to miss a small focus of cancer so um, you know we're, we're identifying cancer down at uh, micron scale so you know 
point something millimeters uh, focus of prostate adenocarcinoma we might find in a, in a core. Uh, and then after the prostate cores are done, uh, I'll usually move into more uh, bread and butter things like skin excisions, uh, small specimens. Um, during this time too, I would have triaged other work. So we get um, core biopsies from other sites that will need immunohistochemistry for workup. So there might be like a lung mass core biopsy that will need immunohistochemistry. And you want to get all those cases that require immunos on early in the morning because they take a few hours to stain. Uh, and then by the afternoon, I'm onto my big specimens and they'll be like uh, colectomies uh, for bowel cancer, uh, nephrectomies for kidney cancer uh, and radical prostatectomies as well. So the larger specimens that take a bit more time. And usually I'm finished uh, by about five o'clock, um, but sometimes it's earlier, sometimes it's later. Uh, last night, for instance, I had another multidisciplinary meeting at 5.30. Um, and being in a private lab, those meetings don't happen close to you. So you might be some my labs in Mount Waverley. Uh, I might have to drive to John Faulkner uh, Hospital or Epworth, Richmond. Uh, and there's also the possibility during the day that we get called to do a frozen section somewhere. So get dragged off site. Um, but that's the day. Every day in private pathology, every day is solid work. Mm -hmm. um, you don't really have much time to breaks. But uh, the good thing about pathology is that you can be, well, if you're somebody like me, you can be doing your work and listening to music or have something else going on in the background. If there's any doctors you'd like us to interview, or if there's any questions you'd like asked, please shoot us a message. We listen and respond to every single message that comes through. And how does private pathology work differ to public pathology work? Um, you alluded to it a little bit. Yeah, yeah. So I think uh, public pathology, the, the volume of work that you would have to report in a, in a given day is less. The case mix is also slightly different. So in private... I guess there's more of a focus on um, large volumes of specimens that can be re reported quite quickly. We don't tend to get uh, complicated. Uh, it's a reflection of uh, the private surgical work as well. So, uh, you know, a lot of skins, but they'll be BCCs, SCCs, um, and we call those sort of bread and butter cases. Yeah. Whereas in a, a tertiary hospital setting, you'll be getting larger, more complex cases. Okay, sure. And what do you find to be the most rewarding part about your job? Um, or what aspect of it do you enjoy the most? Yeah, I think... <laughs> that's a, what aspect do I enjoy the most? <laughs> I think it's the... Uh, the it's the visualis visualisation of things that you haven't seen before uh, mm -hmm. at a microscopic level. I mean, that, that's the, the thing that keeps you sort of interested in what you do. Um, and, um, and and presenting those findings is, is good too. So, I mean, one way that we do that through work is through multidisciplinary meetings. But the other way that I've got into that is through um, entrepreneurship and, and building uh, my website, pathabin.com, um, and all the tools around that. I mean, the idea of that is to generate and create ways, um, support, uh, support ways that pathologists can, uh, take images and share those images. Mm 
<clears throat> and with regards to your work as a pathologist, what is the most difficult aspect or the one that you least enjoy, the most difficult to deal with? Um, I'd say the most difficult aspect is uh, I've kind of got to a point where it's kind of there's there's nothing that's particularly difficult. I mean, the things that kind of drain you are the days when you just have a very high volume of work. Mm -hmm. uh, there can be days when I've looked at 400 slides. Yeah. Uh, and if you think about that, at, like at the breaking that into images, um, it, if I took um, a, a single iPhone photo of a, a part of a specimen at highest power, there'd be several hundred iPhone photos on just one slide. So, you know, we're talking tens of thousands of photos through a whole day if you were to look at all those things at a high power. Yeah. Uh, and that is, it's mentally draining. You uh, you kind of feel a bit uh, numb at the end of those days. It's become quite difficult, uh, I guess, to get worried that you might miss something because you've been yeah. looking at the same slides. Yeah, definitely. There's always, uh, and you have to recognize that in yourself too. I mean, at the end of a long day, you have to recognize that uh, you're you're gonna start making mistakes, and you have to, sometimes you just have to say, no, "I'm gonna stop now. I'll do yeah. this tomorrow." Yeah. Um, particularly at my lab uh, with cytology specimens, you might get to the end of a day, and then they'll say, "Oh, we've just found all of these cytology specimens," uh, and so fine needle aspirate specimens where. In that case, you know, cells are just spread over a slide. You have to look at the whole slide at high power. Yeah. Uh, and it's something where uh, in the heat of the moment of thinking, you know, I just want to get home, you'd make a mistake. And that's where, you know, a lot of mistakes in pathology don't happen because the pathologist doesn't know something. It happens because of errors like uh, not checking the name on the slip versus what the slide, you know, you enter the wrong report for the wrong patient. And those yeah. kind of errors are more likely to happen when you're feeling fatigued. Yeah. Because, for example, like as a, as a student, when you look at these pathology slides that come up, everything looks the same. <laughs> yeah. I've only just started to understand the difference between an yeah. adenocarcinoma and a squamous cell carcinoma. <laughs> but I can imagine that if you're looking at 400 slides, which is composed of the number yeah. of pictures that you said, yeah. things would start to look the same. And you. Yeah, yeah. Well, and you also, it's so interesting you mentioned uh, squamous cell versus adenocarcinoma because... It, you know, a bad adenocarcinoma can look like a squamous cell carcinoma and vice versa. Uh, and I had a case, uh, well, actually, uh, one of my colleagues had a case. Um, she brought to me yesterday and said, oh, somebody else in this lab uh, eight months ago called this biopsy um, adenocarcinoma. And I've just got a re-biopsy of a lesion and it, it looks like squamous cell carcinoma to me. Uh, and sure enough, it was. We went back to the original and there was no features of adenocarcinoma. It was just poorly differentiated. Yeah. Uh, and this person had had chemotherapy during that time based on that decision. Yeah. Um, and you know, looking at the original report, you know, there's only one name on it. So I guess something that I always try and do too is it, when you're making a decision that is going to have a big impact so if it's a you know chemotherapy or not chemotherapy decision or big surgery versus no big surgery decision you show it to a second pathologist at the time mm -hmm. uh, and that's sort of one safeguard that's easy to do yeah so i guess the work of a pathologist you are involved in making quite big clinical decisions yeah does that uh, is that 
bring anxiety or is that like a uh, difficult to deal with or is that just part of the job? Yeah, well, the anxiety is uh, dissipated by sharing the burden amongst other pathologists. So, <laughs> okay. you know, if we have big decisions or if I have a big decision, I'd never want to be the only person with my name on that report. Uh, and and that's why multidisciplinary meetings make you feel sort of more comfortable too because you've, oh. you've shared it with a, a clinical team and likely your case has gone somewhere else and been presented by another pathologist. Um, and I guess... You know, these sorts of issues have been brought to light uh, recently with uh, the, the um, cases in Darwin where the two women had uh, unnecessary mastectomies because of a pathology error, Yeah, uh, which was essentially down to uh, nobody else but one pathologist looking at the case. Yeah. And, and other, you know, it's always that Swiss cheese model, you know, of why weren't there other safeguards in place? But, yeah. Um, yeah, definitely. Um, so can you comment on the different types of pathology that one person can go into yeah. and who yeah. would be suited to go into just pathology in general? Yeah, well, I guess um, the big areas would be hematology and anatomical pathology. And if you're going to do hematology, you get a nice mix of uh, the clinical side. So, you know, uh, speaking face to face with patients and the laboratory side. So you'll be interpreting um, blood smears. Um and then there's uh, chemical pathology, uh, forensic pathology. Um, to get into any of these areas, I, I guess you'd look at the RCPA website, the Royal College of Pathologists um, of Australasia website. It has lots of information about each avenue. Um, some people who start forensics uh, realise they don't like certain aspects of it, but it does share some areas with anatomical pathology i mean the 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 uh, autopsy um processes are sort of shared and you you do see anatomical um surgical pathology sort of um diagnoses in it as well um so you can transfer across uh from forensics to anatomical quite easily quite easily um but uh yeah, there's always an area to suit what balance you want, whether you just want to be in a lab looking at numbers or uh, down a microscope or working with specimens versus uh, having more sort of clinical face-to-face contact. You know, there's general pathologists still, uh, particularly in rural areas, that will do a bit of everything. Yeah. You know, chemical, anatomical and, and uh, clinical pathology. Yeah. And besides, I guess, maybe people who don't necessarily like, for example, being on the wards or anything like that, are there per- certain personalities or certain, like, anything yeah, that suits Yeah, well, per- um, uh, <laughs> my colleagues and I often say to one another, you know, we're all a bit on the spectrum. That's the, the autism yeah. spectrum. <laughs> and um, I think, uh, I don't think all of us are, but um, if you're somebody that, prefers that sort of alone the the me time uh yeah you know maybe it suits that personality a bit better but it also it suits the analytical sort of the the scientific side the people that want to you know understand the basics of disease you know yeah right down to the molecular level yeah um and potentially that that want to use that to change things in a large way like it's it, it one of the problems too that I that I found with if I was going to say become a GP or or a clinician, um, 
was how do you change things on a very large level? Like it's very narrow focus. You're dealing with one patient, but with the pathology lab, I mean, you've got all the specimens, uh, and, uh, and features that you can look at, um, Mm -hmm. that can possibly have ramifications on a very large level quite easily. Yeah. Um, so that was something I definitely yeah. Let's change tact a little bit and talk about pathobin. So yeah. can you start off by telling us about what pathobin is? Yeah. Um, so pathobin is a digital pathology hub um, for pathologists, uh, but also for uh, medical students, scientists, uh, surgeons, radiologists. Uh, and it was started to primarily be an, an image uh, sharing portal for whole slide images, so digital microscope images, and also gross pathology specimen images. Um, Because for a long time, pathologists have been sharing cases on uh, Twitter and Flickr, Um, but there's certain things wrong with sharing on those uh, portals uh, on a few levels, but my biggest complaint was the quality of the images, like they just don't support high quality images. Um, So we wanted to build a website that would allow that, uh, but in in doing that process, I realized quite quickly that there's no cheap, uh, good quality way of capturing microscope or macros- macroscopic specimen images. So we had to solve those problems as well. And I've always had a sort of interest in hardware design and, um, and engineering. So um, I have a friend, Indra, who's a software developer. So he's been working developing the website and our software and I've been making devices, uh, some of which attach to microscopes to allow you to use your smartphone to capture images down the eyepiece. Uh, another one attaches to the microscope stage to digitize it so you can capture a whole slide image automatically. Uh, and then on the macroscopic imaging side, um, we've got into 3D photogrammetry, so modeling specimens as a 3D model. Um, and that kind of was a natural progression. So we, back in 2014, I was looking for money to try and fund Pathobin, the website. Uh, and I was very impatient uh, with sort of research grant applications, didn't do very well and didn't get any. Uh, I, could, I wasn't even successful getting $5,000 from the college. Um, <laughs> <laughs> they said they liked the idea, but um, unfortunately, try again next year. So. There was an opportunity back in 2014 at Melbourne University. They have a startup accelerator program called MAP. And uh, we pitched the idea um, in like a, in a shark tank format. So a competitive process. Um, but the idea is that you include a business model and they assess you on the strength of your team and um, what they think of your technology and what traction you have. So. Our, our team was essentially uh, me as a pathologist with a bit of sort of amateur uh, engineering knowledge. Uh, Indra, who's a software developer, so he's a did a Bachelor of Engineering at um, Melbourne University uh, and is actually a brilliant programmer uh, and has been in game design and other things. And uh, we had an iOS developer as well, uh, Raven. And so we were successful getting uh, onto the MAP entrepreneurial entrepreneurial program and uh, found ourselves uh, in that. So they give you $20,000, uh, which 
sounds like a reasonable amount of money to start a website but at the same time we were developing hardware we had intellectual property costs like that uh, uh, patent costs and uh, buying 3d printers so that money evaporated very quickly um, and part of that process too is that they take you to silicon valley so i found myself at google in silicon valley pitching to them um, yeah. for for uh, this idea um, I guess naively looking back, we were, I was unprepared then to throw in pathology and I still am like, you know, they want you to quit everything and just pursue your, your, uh, your one target, which I wasn't really sure what that was back then. And I'm still not sure what it is for us now. So I'm happy we've been using this alternate pro rather than get venture capital investment. We've been using this process of uh, bootstrapping. So we generate our own revenue and use that to fund our research and development um, because I, I guess one of our strengths and also our problems is that we're really product focused so you know we love our products and we want to make them as good as possible we don't want to get sidetracked by venture capitalists or other interests who want you just to stop and start selling things yeah um, but while I was in Google uh, that's when I discovered um, structure from motion photogrammetry uh, which we went on to develop for pathology specimen modeling. And uh, that's now our main source of income. So we sell these systems to universities. Um, we've sold them to uh, Harvard, University of Utah, um, a couple of hospitals in New South Wales. This one that you can see in front of you is going to the University of Sydney. Make sure to keep in touch with us through social media. Our handle is at the Med Collab, that's T-H-E-M-E-D-C-O-L-L-A-B, on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. You can also subscribe to our podcast for our weekly release. Now back to the show. How do you how do you get in contact with these places and pitch them for them to buy yeah. stuff? Um, so it's mostly mostly through me presenting at conferences so when i um i think i first talked about this at a conference in new zealand and word of mouth spreads because 3d photogrammetry it's quite a novel concept and people hadn't seen 3d pathology specimens before and there's that initial wow factor um so word of mouth spread and you end up getting invited to conferences so ended up at a conference in uh, Boston where there were people from Harvard and, and Utah um, and some other universities over there that are interested as well. And um, initially when I was talking about the concept, we were just selling microscope adapters and sort of pitching our website. But people came up to me and said, you've got to make a device that can do this automatically because I was just sort of talking about it in general terms as a concept. Uh, and you know when um, when people's when you have a really strong response like that, you know they're going to sell. So um, I uh, flew home, designed a turntable. Our first turntable was entirely three D printed, including the bearing. It was quite a rough thing, but it actually worked. Um, and we took some of our technology that we developed for the slide scanning um, system. So we already had good knowledge of how to run stepper motors how to control them with uh, motor controllers. We've got an Arduino chip in that turntable. Um, so in many ways, it was a simplification of what we were trying to do with the microscope slide scanner. 
we just translated that into the um, the turntable and um, and we could sell this system uh, so we're selling them for ten thousand uh, dollars each um, which is a good source of revenue for what we're trying to achieve at the moment yeah. it's uh, it's funding you know multiple 3d printers and more more hardware for development so um, so it's all going back into developing the company. Yeah, further. all of our costs go back in, into the company. Um, we actually, our website is hosted on uh, Amazon AWS servers, and uh, initially we were paying quite a lot of money um, for high-powered machines on their systems. It was about three hundred dollars a month that was costing us. But uh, I pitched at a, a summit in Sydney. It's called Tech Twenty Three. Yeah. And Amazon were there and gave us um, ten thousand dollars of Amazon credits that we could use. So we're still oh, wow. we're using that now. Yeah, but yeah. But so it, it's funny how you can organically sort of find these sources of. So are you being uh, invited to these conferences, or are you? Yeah. Pitching? So I was invited to that through um, uh, a connection at the. Uh, there's a, a a group in Melbourne called STC Australia. So it's the small technologies cluster and they each year they run a program called MedTech's Got Talent. Yeah. And there's actually uh, MedTech's Got Talent. MedTech's Got Talent. Okay. Yeah. yeah. So there's there's two Monash uh, students that have been very successful through that program. Um, they uh, they developed this program called Inemia. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, you know, they've, they've been sort of um, raved about by Microsoft and and they went through MedTech's Got Talent as well. Um, so there is, there's a, a good uh, medical technology community in Melbourne uh, that supports uh, entrepreneurial ideas. Yeah. Um, I guess the disadvantage that we might have compared to, say, the United States is it, it's slightly more difficult to get that uh, philanthropic sort of investment or, or venture Definitely. capital investment. Yeah. Uh, but you can still make things work. Yeah. Um, and, and I like this concept of bootstrapping because, I mean, we love our products and if our products are selling, that means we're making good products that people actually want. Of course. Uh, and so I like that that mechanism. How yeah. did you meet uh, Indra and Raven? Uh, yeah, just by chance. So um, my uh, brother is also into Melbourne University uh, and <laughs> my brother uh, is like a, a gym addict. So uh, I think those guys like all go to the gym uh, at <laughs> Melbourne Uni and they had become friends that way. Yeah. Uh, and I think um, they'd been talking together about ideas for startups, you know, st- st- particularly in the sort of uh, IT and engineering world, this phenomenon of startups yeah. being sort of a, a route to uh success uh, yeah it's interesting how you how you define success but uh, maybe just an avenue to something other than the normal way of doing things um and perhaps a way to pursue uh things that you enjoy that you wouldn't otherwise achieve like all of this i couldn't normally achieve through uh you know working in a lab with my day-to-day job there's just no time for it my uh, lab doesn't support me spending time on this because it, you know, there's there's a long period of not making any money, and for a private pathology lab, that's unacceptable. Yeah, yeah. Um, so it, it's a an avenue to pursue things that you might not otherwise be able to achieve. Uh, and the idea of a startup too is that you're you're not a 
a miniature version of a big company, you're uh, there's this concept of a, a group of people that don't really know what their product is. They don't really know who their customers are either. Yeah. Uh, and you're kind of searching to find out what that is. Yeah. But you have sort of vague feelings of what that might be. So for us, it's, you know, we know we can improve things on the digital microscopy side and we know we can improve things on the digital macroscopy side. Uh, but we we started out not really knowing what we were heading towards. Yeah. Yeah. It's very interesting. Mm. Um, and you're, so you're working as a pathologist now. Do they also have their own, um, I guess, their own nine to five kind of jobs as well, or are they? Yeah, yeah, they do. Yeah. They... So pathobin, we purely work on out of hours. Yeah. Um, we'll do Skype meetings to catch up because you know Indra lives in Point Cook, so it's completely the opposite side of town. Yeah. Uh, we'll meet at Melbourne University in the project rooms. It's kind of a central point. So if we need to discuss something face-to-face or work on something physically so if i'm having trouble uh you know indra designed the pcbs for our turntable they got uh printed up in singapore and delivered to me and then i sold them together if i'm having an issue with that i'll take it to indra and uh get his input on what needs to be soldered where yeah um are you a three-man team yeah yeah so our company one of the steps that you need to do in this process process of starting a, a startup is to find a company lawyer and uh, and get uh, IP assignment agreements and uh, share agreements in in place quite early on because yeah. the longer you delay it, the more difficult it becomes. Yeah. So uh, for people that are looking at starting a startup, it's good to have it on paper written down what your responsibilities are to the company. Uh, what your share is of the company. So, you know, um, we looked at what our contributions were going to be, how much time we'd have to devote, who owned what. And there, there are, there's actually some uh, websites that can help you divvy that up. There's one, I think it's called Sharing the Pie or something like that. Uh, and from that, we, we agreed on a, a share split. Yeah. Um, and uh i mean initially you're starting with no money we're not investing any physical money initially so it's you know you have 10 million shares in total worth one dollar so um (laughs) you 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 split it that way um so uh there's the three of us working in on this in different amounts i mean i'm the sort of the front guy the front man who goes to conferences and and speaks to people about this i some of the systems, so for Royal North Shore Hospital and Westmead Hospital, where we took a 3D, we sold them 3D photogrammetry systems. I went in person and installed them. Yeah. Um, and uh, and I go to the conferences and, and talk about what we're doing there. Um, and most recently, we have been talking to a, a multinational company about a partnership. Um, so it's usually me that fronts those meetings. So you've gone from being a pathologist to now wearing essentially three hats. You've got a you've got your pathology hat, you've got your engineer hat where you're soldering stuff together, <laughs> printing stuff in 3D, yeah. etc. Yeah. And you're also like a businessman yeah. kind of hat. How did you gain the skills for engineering and business and uh, I think it's easy when uh, it's something you enjoy and something that you've you've always had sort of in the back of your mind like when I was in high school um, I was using 3D modeling programs to make wireframe models of things just out of curiosity um, and playing with electronics out of curiosity. And it's not hard to go from that to 
now, you know, 3D modeling, back then I was having to code stuff like write lines of code to generate a 3D model. But now we've got like 3D modeling software. So if I want to design a turntable, I can draw it uh, in not too dissimilar a way to how I would draw a shape in PowerPoint. So Mm -hmm. now I can, um, you know, sculpt and model these things in the computer quite easily uh, and then 3D print them. Um, And uh, the business side, you know, it's something that... um, that's an area that I don't enjoy that much, but it's something that you're sort of forced to face. So, yeah. uh, you know, there's the realities of how do you make a viable company? Um, and I, I guess what keeps us viable is that we do have a constant source of revenue. So there's there's that motivation to, to uh, learn a bit about that side. But you also have to understand when your expertise is exhausted and you need to get help from somewhere else. So... I mean, we have an accountant, we have a company lawyer. We're, we're not going to try and attempt to make those de- um, decisions on yeah. our own. Uh, we also, for like our uh, patent, we went to a well-regarded uh, patent attorney in Melbourne. Yeah. Um, so uh, part of being through these accelerator programs, though, like the MAP one at Melbourne Uni and Monash has an equivalent one, or if you went through MedTech's Got Talent with STC Australia, is that they'll introduce you to these concepts and who you need to speak to. Sure, uh, so you get that support get that from support. them. Yeah. yeah. So how do you balance all of this? Like how, like your work-life balance, you mentioned that you're, in terms of like pathology, it's usually like a nine to five, yeah. which is um, uh, pretty good as far as careers in medicine go. Yeah. How do you fit in family and how do you fit in uh, pathobin and everything? Yeah. Uh, it's, it's difficult. Um, so I've got a one and a half year old son now, uh, and I've got a second uh, son on the way uh, next April. So it's going to get tougher. But um, there was uh, some advice I read a while back. I think it was from Jonathan Ives. Um, he's the uh, designer at Apple. Uh, he was a good friend of Steve Jobs. Uh, and one of the advice of uh, Steve Jobs to him was, uh, you need to learn when to say no. And it is very hard uh, to say no to things. But um, particularly in this sort of line of work, uh, startups, is that you'll get people demanding things from you all the time. Yeah. And there comes a point where you need to say no, to, like, I just don't have time. So what I do is... Uh, uh, most of my pathobin work only occurs when I've, when there's nothing else I could be doing. Like it, it, to me, it's kind of a, a, a outlet for relaxation in a way. Yeah. Um, so, uh, you know, rather I used to be a gamer and play video games, but I don't do that anymore. Instead, I'll sort of relax by designing something in the, in the 3d modeling software. Um, so that's how I kind of fit it around, um, my life but you you do need to make priorities and you know family always comes first so yeah uh you get used to having sort of uh random sleeping hours um you know some nights i might only get a few hours sleep but then uh, you you need to catch up on that at some point yeah Um, so yeah you can always make it work yeah and would you say pathology just in itself is a good um, It lends career? itself more. Yeah, I think pathology lends itself more to being able to do this. Like if I was a... Uh, my wife's an anaesthetist. Um, 
Well, actually, anesthetics might lend itself to this as well. She could be uh, sitting in theatre rather than reading her Kindle. She could be designing some stuff. But there's, uh, it would be hard to be a surgeon and do this as well. Yeah. Um, having a, a fairly uh, rigid sort of or, or constant uh, normal business hours of, of work um, does allow you to do a lot more in, in those hours when you're not there. Yeah. Wonderful. Thank you so much for coming on. It's been great. <laughs> that, was, that was great to talk. Thank you. Thanks so very much. That's it for this episode. Thank you so much for listening. Please make sure to complete the survey for this episode. We want to make sure the episodes are as useful as possible and the surveys help us to monitor whether they're making an impact on our fellow peers. It only takes 30 seconds and it helps more than you can imagine. The link can be found on our Facebook and our blog. All right, guys, see you next week.